Today on the History Factory Podcast, we are joined by author, speaker, futurist, and consultant Mark Schaefer to talk about the future of marketing and how we got here next on the History Factory Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Dressel. Welcome to the History Factory Podcast, the podcast at the intersection of business and history. Mark Schaefer. Mark Schaefer is here to talk about the future of marketing and how we got here. His new book is Belonging to the Brand, Why Community is the Last Great Marketing Strategy, which I learned about at a conference this spring where Mark was a keynote speaker and certainly one of the highlights of the event. And uh, one of the interesting aspects of this notion of community uh, that Mark and I are going to talk about is the role that history and heritage can play in creating that notion of belonging and community and tribe uh, that Mark and I talk about, as well as just more broadly how marketing has changed, while at the same time, the underlying principles have really been in place forever. So fun conversation. Uh, Mark Schaefer, check him out if you're not already familiar with him. Mark is a globally recognized author, speaker, futurist, and business consultant. He is a prolific writer and speaker whose work sits at the intersection of marketing, technology, and humanity. He has advanced degrees in marketing and organizational development. He holds seven patents, and he's a faculty member of the graduate studies program at Rutgers University. Mark is the best-selling author of 10 popular books, including the very first book on influence marketing. His blog, Grow, and podcast, The Marketing Companion, are ranked among the top-rated publications in the marketing field. And his clients range from successful startups to global brands such as Johnson & Johnson, Dell, and the U.S. Air Force. Most recently, Mark is the author of Belonging to the Brand, Why Community is the Last Great Marketing Strategy. So let's jump in to our conversation. Mark Schaefer, welcome to the History Factory podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm delighted to be here. So, well, Mark... um, I heard you uh, speak at uh, the Page Spring Seminar, uh, a corporate communications event, uh, maybe a month or so ago. And uh, as I shared with you then, you were my sort of highlight of the conference. And um, your new book, uh, Belonging to the Brand, uh, Why Community is the Last Great Marketing Strategy, um, definitely um, resonated um, with me. Uh, so thank you so much for for um, for joining us today. And I'll start with just, you know, what what inspired you to to write this book? It's an idea, uh, Jason, that's been percolating really since 2018. Uh, The previous book I wrote was called Marketing Rebellion, and it was sort of a wake-up call. It's frustrating to me that I think marketing is sick in many ways that we're stuck on algorithms and automation, and sometimes we really forget the human factor Uh, the psychology, the sociology, the anthropology that's the heart of marketing. And so I, I, in the book, I talked about focusing on the things that, not the things that are changing so much in technology, but what are the things that are not changing? 
What are the fundamentals of consumer behavior? What about, you know, our consumers, they want to be acknowledged, they want to be seen, they want to belong. And I wrote a whole chapter in that book about this idea that community might be the future of marketing. Boom, one year later, pandemic. And people started saying, Mark, all these ideas you talked about are coming true, that everyone's turning to online communities is the only thing they have right now. And when I had finished that chapter in that book, I thought that is probably the most important chapter in the book. And I see, um, as I mentioned in in my talk, that there are really three great megatrends happening right now that point to community as the future of marketing. One is that our typical marketing isn't working like it used to. We're in a streaming economy. People don't see ads. If they see them, they don't believe them. The second factor is this mental health crisis. Uh, People are they're lonely, they're depressed, they're isolated at, at record levels, especially young people, but you know, really across every generation, they have this longing to belong. Is there an opportunity for companies to kind of step in and enable that? And then the third thing is the great investments being made in technologies today, like the metaverse, Web3, some of the AI things that create new ways for people to belong. And young people are surging into these spaces. So you put those three things together and it says, we need to be looking at community as a brand strategy. That's the difference in this book. Community has been around for a long time, but it's really been overlooked as a brand strategy. So I want to ask about why you think it's the last great strategy and and maybe it's not, maybe that's just the strategy to sell the book, but before we get, (laughs) but, but before we get to that, you know, it, if community is the last great strategy, where does it fall in that historic context? You've been obviously an expert in this field for a very long time. Uh, I know you started, you know, when you were like 12 years old or something. And um, pretty much what, what have been, you know, some of the great strategies of marketing of the past and, you know, that you've, that you've covered. Well, you know, whenever you, when people ask that question, the first thing we usually think of is like advertising campaigns. And I think that's part of the reason why we need to be thinking about community. So you think, I mean, look, I grew up in Pittsburgh. So my favorite ad of all time was the Coca-Cola commercial with Mean Joe Green, right? So there's, and and, but what, what does that do? It creates an emotion. It creates this meaning. That's what great branding does. It creates this connection and this meaning. But advertising just is not the option that it used to be. Social media isn't the option that it used to be. And, and, you know, what I talk about in the book is looking at this continuum where we used to create this emotion through ads. That's not the, you know, strategy uh, like it used to be. Today, we can create some connection through social media, hopefully bring people to our content where we can create an audience. That's a higher level of emotional connection, but that's where most companies stop. The ultimate emotional connection is in a community where people actually commune and become friends with each other. And that's the highest level of emotional connection. You literally belong to the brand. Because if you leave the community, you leave your friends. You don't want to do that. You stay with the brand. Yeah. Um, and a great, and not to put you on the spot, but uh, you know, 
one of the stories that you shared in that keynote was the example of soap. A soap, yes. Well, this was uh, it, it's a, it's a fun story, but it's also a, a really meaningful story. I think if you're a, a marketer, that you know, when I was a kid, the only soap we used in our household was ivory. <laughs> That's what my mom saw on TV. That was really the only channel uh, most brands could use to build trust with 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 families and with households. And in the 1960s, this was a, this was remarkable, really. What a success story. I mean, Ivory Soap had like 50% market share in the 1960s. And then, you know, I I just, I'm such a marketing geek and I love, you know, legacy brands like this. And I was reading in the Wall Street Journal a few years ago that Ivory's market share was below 3%. And it's not just, it's not just Ivory, it's other brands like, like, like Tide and Mr. Clean some of these brands that had been built on advertising were in severe decline. And I just couldn't figure it out. You know, these this is Procter & Gamble we're talking about, the greatest advertisers in the world, greatest marketers in the world. And the same day I was reading about this article, I went to a friend's house for dinner and went into the bathroom and they had this soap from a local soap company. And I said, okay. I asked the lady to come into the bathroom with me and explain why she bought this soap. <laughs> and and I, I said, why do you, you know, why not Ivory? They've been advertising to you for your whole, your, your whole life. Why do you love this brand? And she said, well, I'm not sure that I love this brand, but I love the hands that made it. And she went on to tell me about the meaning that was established between her and this soap because of the family that made it, how they're involved in the community, how they treat their employees so well, how they're trying to create a sustainable business that's good to the environment. And she went on and on and on telling this story. And I mean, there's a lot of lessons here, but one of the lessons is this idea that she didn't, the, the emotional connection wasn't to the soap. It wasn't because it was lemon scented. It wasn't because it was, you know, uh, you know, Irish spring with leprechauns or whatever. It, it, it wasn't because of a jingle. It wasn't even because of the price because she spent 10 times more on this soap than a bar of ivory. The emotional connection was to people. Yeah, And I think that's part of an important idea, especially with young people today. They want to know who are the people at these companies? What do they do? How, you know, what do they stand for? Should I trust them? How do they treat their employees? And, and that's, that's, a, that's an important megatrend. Yeah, and, it, and, and you mentioned this before when you were talking about sort of the, the three drivers of why community is becoming such an important um, conscious strategy for, mm-hmm. for companies and brands. And you talked about technology. Um, and you know it was interesting because I, I made to your point about uh, thinking about the soap thing, and then that day having something happen. I had a similar thing happen with you. I was having a conversation with a friend, and I was like, "Why are we? No one's talking about Web three anymore." You know, like I, yeah. I went to the I went to the page conference last year, and I came back and I drove my IT people crazy because I was immediately like, "We need to buy real estate in the metaverse," and they were all like, <laughs> right. well, "Jason, chill out, dude." Chill out. And and you know and 
and of course, you know, after the, after all the conferences I go to this year, I run back to the office and I'm panicking about AI, uh, which I right. feel like is very well founded, by the way. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. I don't. I, I don't think that a year from now we're we're gonna be like, what What did AI stand for again? I don't yeah. think that's happening. I but agree. On that very same day, I was having this conversation for like the fifteenth time in the last month. I saw you wrote an article about this issue and how just literally quantitatively, you know, the 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 Web 3.0 is definitely not getting the kind of traction and it has gone cold. And you wrote about how you're still very bullish on that. So I'm curious, you know, why uh, why do you think Web 3.0 has gone so cold? And why yeah. do you still think it holds so much promise, especially in this context of community? Yeah, I I I wouldn't describe myself as bullish but I still think there's a there there. So, I mean, you know, really what's happened is, you know, the, the, the tech investments are driven by the by the financial markets. And so Web3 uh, held a lot of promise for, you know, brand new marketing ideas, brand new marketing strategies in entirely new ways to connect in, in an intimate way with consumers. Um, and, and there's still a lot of that going on. I mean, there's still a lot of brand involvement, you know, with NFTs. And um, when you when you get through all the hype, there there are some foundational ideas that are, that I think are going to change the world eventually. And, but what's happened is it was Web three, and of course, there's all the hype with the metaverse and Facebook changed their name, and then AI. And when I was an early adopter of ChatGPT. And I wrote something on my blog. I wrote words I've never uttered before in my life. And it was this, this changes everything. I mean, I didn't say that about the web. I didn't say that about social media because it took us a few years to figure those things out. But you know, taking AI out of the computer science back room and into our lives like Google, uh, just a mass adoption of, of AI, and 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 at mass access to the API, you know, behind the scenes, it, it's 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 really going to change everything. And the financial markets responded to that. So whoosh, all the money, all the attention moves off of Web three, moves off the metaverse, and goes into AI. That doesn't mean Web three and the metaverse are going away. I mean, the metaverse, you know, there's a lot of teenagers that spend half their lives on the metaverse. Fortnite is the metaverse. Roblox is the metaverse. So, I mean, it's here. You know, there are people are selling things there. Kids yeah. are attending concerts on Fortnite. So, yeah. you know, the metaverse isn't going to go away. And as those young people who live on the metaverse, as 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 they grow into the majority of consumers, it'll it'll become more important. So, you know, I'm not I, I'm I'm not necessarily bullish, like saying go buy land on the metaverse. I'm saying, you know, look, it's it's not going away. It's part of our lives. It'll remain part of our lives. And I think over time, especially, you know, this is a whole nother conversation, but places like China and India probably will have higher adoption rates of the metaverse than even in America. So, you know, it's, it's not going to go away. It's going to be a force. But, you know, I agree with Wall Street, AI. <laughs> Well, I think what you're saying too is AI is revolutionary and yeah. Web 3.0 is really evolutionary. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, so to that point, you mentioned Fortnite as an example. You know, what are some of the brands right now that, from your perspective, really are kind of on the cutting edge? Not necessarily of of Web three but uh, but maybe. But what, what who 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 are, what are some of the brands right now that you see that are really kind of on the cutting edge or doing really unique things around cultivating community? I, there's so many that I love. It's, it's it's hard to choose, but one that is just sort of kind of knock your socks off. Amazing is Yeti. Mm. You know, I remember like six or seven years ago, I started seeing people wearing t-shirts and hats that said Yeti. I thought, isn't that an ice cooler? I mean, how do you build community around an ice cooler? Uh, I think the first five years of the company, they spent no money on advertising. It was 100% influencers and community. And what really sort of like nailed it for me just to realize how incredibly powerful and effective this marketing was, I was at an event, I think it was in Wichita or something, and there were a bunch of students there from a university. And I was a keynote speaker. They wanted to take a picture uh, with me and they all gathered around me. And this young woman held up her phone and on the back of her phone, taken up the whole back of the phone was a Yeti sticker. You know, that's like a tattoo almost. It's like you're showing the world, I belong, you know, stand back. I'm a Yeti person. And, you know, she's like a, a sophomore in college. She can't possibly afford a $400 ice cooler, right? And I said, why? Why the sticker? <laughs> Why? Why this? I mean, and she just went on, just like the lady talking about the soap. She went on to tell me the whole story of Yeti and the community and what they stand for and all these things they're doing and all these friends she's made in this in, in this community. And she said, look, I can't afford Yeti, but for Christmas every year, I buy my friend, my my family some gift, even if it's a little one from Yeti because I believe in this brand. And it's all about the feeling. And that feeling for Yeti was almost entirely created by community. No advertising whatsoever. And it's like, wow, talking about getting back to, to basics and launching a, a mega brand, creating a feeling over a $400 ice cooler. It's amazing. Yeah, that that is a terrific example. That is a terrific example. Yeah. So this this podcast is you know dedicated to, to business and history and brands and, and brand heritage. So as you think about community building, you know what does the notion of history and heritage what comes to mind for you in terms of the role that history or heritage can play for a company or a brand in helping them build community? Well, I think it kind of gets back to your earlier comment about, come on, Mark, is this really the last marketing strategy? Why would you say that? And and for me, community was the first marketing strategy. If you want to go back in history, I mean, my, before, you know, advertising and PR and mass marketing, my, you know, my grandparents lived in Pittsburgh and they shopped at the neighborhood stores. And they would go to the meat store and they would go to the vegetable school store and they would go to the bakery and they knew the people in those places. And I had, you know, Jason, I had this profound, just really 
gut-wrenching feeling, this experience. My grandfather shopped at this store in Pittsburgh and it's been there since 1903. And like when it was like the, he called it the Italian store. And it was like homemade pasta and they brought imported cheese. And my family didn't have much money. So when my grandfather went to this store, you knew it was like a special holiday or something. I went back into this store that's been in the same neighborhood since 1903. And they've got this vast case of every kind of cheese and smoked meat you can imagine. And this lady walks up to the counter and the lady, the, the lady behind the counter says, oh, Mrs. Sullivan, how are you today? And they talked about their families and their husband was sick. So the lady behind the counter gave her a little something special to take home to her husband. And then the lady sees some friends and she goes over to this corner and they talk with the friends. And I sat there and watched this and I felt this deep sadness that I've never felt this with any brand. That store doesn't need SEO. That store doesn't need, you know, uh, brand content. It, it doesn't need Facebook ads. It's a community. You belong there. Families have gone there for generations. It's in their DNA. And I longed for that. I felt so sad. I'm just one generation away from that. And where is it? Can we do that again? I think we can. I think that longing is still inside of us. I think that's the ultimate heritage, the ultimate history of marketing, that that's, that's where it all began. It's the feeling. It's the connection. And it started with human to human before we had Tony the Tiger, right? And uh, so I think that's the link between the history and the heritage of marketing and this longing that we've always had to connect in this emotional way to the, the brands and the products that we love the most. That's brilliantly articulated, Mark. And what you're also talking about there, in addition to community, is the concept of nostalgia, and yeah. which is a whole different conversation. And yeah. um, I've had um, some of the world, I've talked to some of the world experts and have had um, Christine Bacho, who's a professor who has studied the field of nostalgia. And she talks about the different kinds of nostalgia and um, what you're articulating ties both into um, sort of a nostalgia for the past, but also what you are articulating also was, was almost a nostalgia for a different kind of future. And yeah. knowing that you're yeah. at risk of losing something and then being nostalgic, you know, the same way you may, you know, be with your like I've got a, uh, I've got two, you know, teenagers in the house. So I'm starting to get nostalgic knowing that they're not going to be in the house forever. You know, that's yeah. future nostalgia. But there's, you know, again, I, I love what you're saying here, Jason, and, and kind of tying it all together because one of the trends with Gen Z right now is 80s, the 1980s. They're nostalgic for a period they weren't even part of. Right. It's like, it's like, I wrote a blog post about it. I called it faux-stalgia. Uh, you know, it's like this fake nostalgia, but it's this longing for something simpler. Yeah. You know, something well, there's, straightforward and emotional. Right. Well, there's three, if I'm recalling correctly, and uh, listeners, uh, we'll, we'll put in the notes here a link to this previous um, episode that we did on nostalgia. There's like three different kinds of nostalgia. There's what you just articulated, which yeah. is these young kids who are having a nostalgia for the 80s, yeah. which is the same of 
like you know the baby boom generation having a nostalgic nostalgia for the 1950s that they weren't actually really a part of and didn't really exist that way or you know the strange people that have a nostalgia for like gone with the wind you know antebellum south like that's a historic nostalgia that of a of a past that didn't exist yeah <laughs> um and then there's that nostalgia like your own life nostalgia where you're nostalgic for your own childhood your own experiences and then then there's that notion of future nostalgia where you're nostalgia for what you know you were about to lose and Uh your analogy of the of the italian market you know kind of blended some of those together in an interesting way Uh um very cool well it's an awesome book uh mark and uh thanks so much for um for sharing your thoughts on it um Lastly, just because you're such a great wealth of knowledge on marketing campaigns, what what are some of your favorite marketing campaigns of all time? Oh well, um, you know, again, I, you know, I mentioned I, I I admire almost everything that that Coca Cola has done because if you think about a, a brand is a mission of relentless relevance, and I, I love Coca Cola's history of marketing because they have one goal be relevant now. They can't change the product. So it's be relevant now. So from a historical perspective, I love the way they've morphed and changed. Um, I had the opportunity recently to talk to um, the the person who was Steve Jobs' marketing guru. And she's an independent consulting now, consultant now. And, and, and she, she, told me some interesting things we could because we taught we think about the community around apple and the historical relevance of that and she told me that that was not obvious to jobs it occurred to him later when he started to see creatives adopting apple in this sort of um maverick kind of way like they had pcs but they would sneak the apples into work to do their creative and it, it, so it, it wasn't planned. It wasn't, you know, part of the culture. So I love the way, you know, I love the way that evolved. Um, you know, I we, I tell you, a, a, a brand that I have loved a lot and the way they've managed their campaigns uh, more recently is Glossier. Uh, Glossier is one of the fast growing uh, skincare and cosmetic brands, totally built on this idea of community totally built with, you know, the, 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 the founder of the company was a blogger that had a, a, an emotional connection uh, to their readers responded to the frustrations of their readers about how these cosmetic companies, you know, have these uh, unrealistic body images. Why can't they just treat us like people and friends? And she said, all right, let's do this. Created her own company and, and built this sort of grassroots, company that's growing very well. And again, I think for the first five years of the company did no advertising whatsoever, all built on word of mouth and community. Uh, so those are some of the ones that come to mind. Cool. Well, last question. And uh, depending on how you answer this, we can decide whether we'll, we, we'll keep this one in the podcast, but I enjoy reading uh, your stuff immensely. So last question, what is the Mark 500 why did it fail? And why can't great marketing bring it back? <laughs> the Mark 500 was a fanciful concept car 
that I made up totally in uh, in one of my uh, blog posts. And the reason that it failed is because it's the reason why a lot of my ideas fail. It was too far ahead of its time. Just give it two years, Jason. It's gonna it's gonna come back. All right. Well, when it comes back, I'm sure we're going to be able. We'll build a, a vibrant uh, community around it, and then we'll build a community. Can, yeah, you can turn to History Factory, and we'll start building that origin story and the heritage right from the ground up. So awesome. it should be engineered right in. So. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much, man. All right, Mark. Great to see you as always, man. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks again to Mark Schaefer. Nice guy. Smart guy. Good stuff. That's it for this episode of the History Factory Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you're interested in learning more about Mark Schaefer or grabbing a copy of his book, Belonging to the Brand, Why Community is the Last Great Marketing Strategy, you can find out more at his website, businessgrow.com. That's businessgrow.com or wherever you like to buy books. I'm Jason Dressel. Be well.